We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Welcome back to another episode. We're so excited to have you, and today we are so excited to invite a true babe, Mikkel Clegg Hyde, to share her story with us. Just a little background. Mikkel and I were college roommates in... Provo. At the Branberry, right? At the Branberry. It's good times. Mm-hmm. Um, when, so I moved up when I was, well, yeah, I was like 19, almost 20 when I moved up there, I think. Mikhail had just graduated from high school and I like moved in. I was like so nervous and had my mom and dad drop me off. And every time I came and <laughs> finally saw Mikhail, she, okay, first of all, she had hair as thick as a ponytail. Home, a real pony's tail like past her butt like it was all the hair and like so highlighted just like so perfect and like sun-kissed she's probably pretty tan she's like a softball player and she would every time I saw her she was flat not flat ironing her hair and so I'd be like hey Kara what's up like and she's like oh, oh hi hi hair you know and, and that happened like three times because I was like coming and going a lot it's the same with my sisters too and you would reintroduce yourself every time while she's yeah, pretty much. straightening her hair and I'm sitting there going like oh my gosh like every time she comes home I'm here doing my hair she probably thinks I'm so full of myself and I told that to our other roommate that was my room roommate Nellie and she was like stop doing your hair <laughs> I'm like just she comes home when I'm doing my hair it's not like I'm always doing my hair, but that's how it felt for like a week. <laughs> I know it's pretty funny, and I mean it was a lot of hair, so it <laughs> probably took up a lot of your time. So well, and I wow. had just dyed it, like bleached it. Uh-huh. It was brand new, and I had no idea how to really do it. It was the first, first and only time I did it because it was a mess. <laughs> well, at least well. you've got a pony mane because I know lots of ladies that would kill for that hair. Myself included. I'd probably kill for it now. It's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mikkel is awesome. And she has been on a long journey of health. And I guess an infertility journey as well. And her health and infertility journey have all kind of intertwined. And her story I think is unique but also very relatable Mikkel why don't you just open up and share with us just how this journey started for you yeah it's a longest journey because it started I don't know exactly when it started I was always tired for a long time it kind of started in my mind probably around when I was on my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, but that's hard to say because if you've served a mission or you've ever talked to a missionary, they're always tired. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like that was the big indicator. How old were you at the time? Um, I served when I was 20. I left when I was 21, but turned 20. Wait. Yeah, I had turned 22 on my mission. So okay. 21. So I was 21 years old. 
And I came home from a mission and I thought like, okay, I'm not waking up at 6.30 anymore. I can sleep in a little bit, so I won't be as tired, but that never happened. Like I was still tired all the time. So I went to a doctor and they said two things. They told me one, that I was vitamin B deficient, which I mean, I still could be, I have no idea. Or they also said that I was in like a transition period of life. That's what they kept saying, every doctor. You're in a transition period of life. And it felt really, yeah, it felt so dismissive. You don't go through menopause, like, no. What is that? (laughs) No, I know. I was like, what? I think I even asked, like, okay, transition period. What does that mean? (laughs) A midlife crisis, you know? Yeah, a quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that's really dismissive, but okay, whatever. I don't know. So I just kept living my life. That was probably in 2013 or 14, probably 14 that I was told that. And then I married Andrew in 2015. Still tired all the time. No answers. Just kept living life. And then um, about a year. Can can I ask like your level of exhaustion? Like you were literally having a nap every day or like, what does it feel like? Because I think a lot of people think like, oh, when you say oh, I'm tired all the time, because I definitely relate to that. I feel like I'm tired all the oh, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people will just use the excuse of like, oh, I'm tired because I have kids or I'm tired because I'm pregnant or a myriad of different reasons. But right. when you say like exhaustion, what what did that actually look like in your life? I, I think for me, it felt like more crazy than just being tired because I wasn't pregnant and yeah. I didn't have kids. I didn't have an extremely stressful job or lifestyle at the time, especially it was pretty relaxed. I had just come home from a mission. So that was the transition, I guess. But like I was in school, like not a super extreme workload with work or school, Mm -hmm. but I would come home from work at about six o'clock and I would just like sit on the couch and I would stare at the wall or a TV or just be like sitting there. And then I'd look at my clock and it would be like, an hour and a half later. And I felt like I just sat there and I hadn't moved, hadn't done anything. I was so tired mm-hmm. and I would want to go to bed or I would go to bed at like nine or 10. And then I would sleep for 10 to 12 hours and I'd wake up and I'd still be exhausted. Um, so it was more than just like, Oh, I'm busy running around. Cause I understand that. Like now that I have a kid and a little bit more of a stressful life, like yeah. it's a different type of exhaustion, I think. Yeah, for sure. And just that. So it was a lot of tired. And like, this will be later on. I have, I had thyroid cancer and it's different than just a normal thing. And there's also a lot of different um, symptoms for people when they have thyroid problems. Like one of them commonly is like weight gain. I didn't really have that so much. I had weight fluctuation a little bit, but mm-hmm. weight gain is a huge thing, huge thing. And there's lots of other symptoms, but could be it but that big one for me was exhaustion okay so you're tired all the time everyone keeps saying like it's a transition period Mm -hmm. what what came next for you so about a year after Andrew and I were married we decided to start trying to have a baby and that was in the summer of 2016 and not that long later a few months later I had a miscarriage after about five weeks. 
and that was in November of 2016. And then in January of 2017, I had another miscarriage that was about six or seven weeks. So pretty early term miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And I went to the OBGYN to like kind of, I think the second one, yeah, the second one, I had been bleeding a little bit longer. Like it had been like six weeks or something like that. And I was still bleeding. So I went in and they said they were testing my HCG levels, you know, to check to see if there was still any uh, passing uh, stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And they, because I had gone in for my exhaustion, they tested my thyroid earlier, like probably in 2013 or 14. And so when they tested my blood, they didn't test the HCG. They accidentally tested the thyroid stimulating hormone, the TSH. And it was a higher than it should have been. And so the OB actually referred me to the Thyroid Institute of Utah. So I went there. And that's when I went in to the Thyroid Institute and they found what they call a nodule on my thyroid. So if you don't know much about like the thyroid, it's like the thing on your throat. Mm -hmm. It's a butterfly shaped organ on your throat and it does a lot with your metabolism. And I think hormones too, but I don't really know. Mostly metabolism among other things. And when they, they like did the first appointment and they're like, okay, we're going to do an ultrasound on your neck and test your levels. And my levels were like, not that off. It was kind of normal-ish, I guess, but they did the ultrasound and they found that nodule. And they told me that when there's only one nodule or a ton of nodules, that's a bad sign. Like if you have two or three, that's like not as weird. Hmm. If you have one or a ton, I don't know why, but that's what they told me. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a biopsy on my nodule and it came back that it was 65% chance that it was cancer. And that was in April of 2017. And this is why, how do I explain this well? It's difficult, I think, for doctors to give good diagnoses and good um, input because everyone's a little different and there's not like specialized medicine for individuals, you know? There's like ranges and like, this is where you should be, but you're not but you're not that bad, but, and you could be a little bit different than someone else too. Like my normal might not be the same as your normal or whatever. So there was a lot of confusion for us in like how to decide of what to do. I was told I should get a genetic test to see if I was prone to cancer. I was told lots of other things, but we decided to just go in and remove that nodule and see if it was cancerous and if it was to remove the whole thing. Um, so that was in July of 2017, I had my whole thyroid removed because it was cancerous. They found, yeah. So what was your like initial feelings and thoughts? Cause you're young at that point. You're how old? I was 26 when yeah. I got the cancer diagnosis. It's kind of weird because I was sick for so long that being told I had cancer, I felt almost validated. Mm. Yeah, It's weird because you think like you hear cancer and you'd be like scared. And I was, 
Like it's kind of scary to hear that it was cancer, but I also was feeling like I was a crazy person, that I was so tired, but was getting no answers from a doctor that this is what's going on. This is what's going on. It was like, I'm just crazy now. From now on, I'm just going to be tired. I remember telling Andrew like at one point that I was so tired that I didn't think I was going to make it to be like 40. I was like, I think I'm just going to die in my 30s if I'm this tired all the time. Mm. It was crazy. What a, it's like such an altered reality of like a fogginess. That's so interesting. Like I can't imagine living a life like because you know you fall apart after 30 like I'll tell you what (laughs) yeah you can't do that for 10 years it's just not gonna (laughs) last (laughs) yeah and that's like foggy is a perfect word for it like that's another thing for me was like I had memory fog like I'd go to a basketball game with Andrew and like two weeks later I'd be like I don't remember anything about that game I barely remember going wow like, even now, like, I'll think back on stuff, like, those at, during that time period, it's just, like, mm-hmm. all my memories are, like, a weird fog, and, like, I'll remember bits and pieces, but it was, like, a good year and a half that, like, my memory is terrible. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. side effects that no one would probably warn you about or say, look for this or whatever, but now that you're aware... Well, I think mm-hmm. there's like, there's a lot of overlapping symptoms because like even as you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh, a lot of people could say like, oh, you have depression, you have anxiety, it, mm-hmm. especially that that term like fog is commonly used with people who have depression. And so, well, and like the symptom of like sleeping all the time, I thought I was depressed, like yeah. that's what my first thoughts were. Sure. And I was like, I probably should go to one of those, but I, <laughs> I just didn't. I don't know. And I was told I was transition period and I was fine. Like that's what I was pretty much told. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not depressed even though I feel like it was weird. I, I don't know. I wasn't like super sad. I was just super tired. And I was like, maybe that's how my depression manifests, but sure. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's, let's back up to the miscarriages and that experience because that was over, over a year process of or or, yeah a couple years of trying to get pregnant losing a baby healing getting pregnant again you know and Mm -hmm. that I think not everybody can relate to cancer um but a high percentage of women I think can relate to miscarriage Mm -hmm. Uh, Dana included Dana had a miscarriage her first pregnancy as well Mm -hmm. and I feel like I remember you sharing about at least your first miscarriage and that like it's on social media or like maybe you'd announce that you're pregnant and I don't know, maybe you shared it with me, but then you didn't share about your cancer diagnosis for way long after you had done the surgery, I feel like, Um, yeah. Or, or may, I can, maybe I can't remember. Maybe I should have looked at your Facebook before we started. <laughs> it's okay. I, it might be reverse. It might be that I okay. shared, I think I shared the cancer diagnosis well before the miscarriages. Okay. That's what, if I remember right, like that's okay. what I, that's what I remember. <laughs> maybe well, I could have looked at mine. <laughs> and that's probably not uncommon. I, I find that interesting that we're very willing to talk about these big health issues like cancer, heart, heart attacks. Um, I don't know. We're starting to talk about mental health issues, but there's Mm -hmm. still this like 
bad stigma but it's just like yeah like a bad stigma around talking about miscarriages and still this like shame or a lot of people still are I mean myself included are worried about telling people too early out of fear that they will have a miscarriage and you'll have to explain um so can you talk more about that decision like why do you think it was that you were so willing to talk about your cancer diagnosis versus talking about your miscarriages? Well, that's an interesting thought because I think for me, the miscarriages were so personal mm-hmm. and I, for me, I didn't like the idea of being pitied for it, mm-hmm. which is silly because it's like, like we've said, there's a lot of people that have had miscarriages and people can give you comfort when you share those things sure I think it was such a shock and it was shame isn't the exact right word because it's not like I was ashamed of myself by any stretch it was more like such an internal hurt that I was like I didn't want to share something so personal to someone and them just say oh I'm sorry even though that's really nice Sure. It just felt so personal to me that I didn't want to have pity from people that I didn't feel like would understand or maybe wouldn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. Casting my pearls before swine, you know, like it was so personal. And yeah. even though they were short, really not um, very far along miscarriages, it still felt spiritual to me. Like it was a huge spiritual experience to be pregnant for even just that short of a time so it was like it I often during this whole period of time I kept thinking of the scripture in Luke 2 where Mary kept these things and she pondered them in her heart that's how it felt for me like the cancer thing for some reason did not feel so personal Hmm. it was connected to the miscarriage and maybe that's like my first step to like sharing was like okay if I can share that I had cancer then I can maybe get the courage to share about my miscarriage because I feel like both of those things the cancer and the miscarriage if you share it and you talk about it it makes it easier for other people to share it and talk about it and maybe opens up an opportunity to create a dialogue so that people don't feel the shame or the discouragement or the fear I guess of sharing something so personal yeah I definitely agree I I just wanted to like highlight so basically you were able to get the cancer diagnosis because of a medical coding mistake and Mm -hmm. you know they accidentally tested your TSH levels instead of your hcg levels mm-hmm. and so crazy to say that it was this mixed up tender mercy entwined with a painful growing refining experience but i mean do you feel that that's what it was for you like a miracle even though the miracle was painful maybe oh absolutely yeah, that's, so when I had the two miscarriages, you know, that's really hard. Like they were back to back. I had like, it was November to January. So two within like three months. Yeah. So really short period of time. But looking back, retrospect's the best. 
like looking back, it totally was a miracle. I had those two miscarriages and then the wrong test was done. And because of those two like seemingly accidents, they or coincidences or whatever you want to call them, they found my thyroid cancer super early. Like I had one nodule, it hadn't spread because that's common in thyroid cancer is people don't go in because yeah, everyone's tired. Yeah, you just had a baby, it's hard to get off weight. Yeah, you just did this. It's probably transition period of life or whatever. Right. So, you know, it's crazy. It'll spread to like your lymph nodes. It could get pretty far. Usually you get a goiter, like mm-hmm. start growing like something on your neck. It's not neck fat. It's a goiter. Go in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everyone so, hate their necks now. Like, let's all make sure. Let's check how you feel it. Yeah. You can see my scar right there. I can't even see it. But I mean, it's pretty good. They did a good job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, looking back, absolutely a miracle. I, I like to think that those two miscarriages, it sounds weird, but it was from, they were from God so that I would go in and get it taken care of because it didn't spread. And I, you know, they go in periodically to like check and make sure my levels are still good. And I don't, they never say you're cancer free. They just say that you're in remission or like it didn't spread. That's what they always said. Looks good. Doesn't look like it spread every time. So like, I think I went in really early and got lucky, I guess is the word, but also I think it was a blessing that I did have those miscarriages, sadly, but they saved me from having worse cancer. Yeah. So that's good. Since you can, since you have the hindsight now and you can call it a blessing and a miracle. I'm curious about the time between, you know, between the first, second and second miscarriage before the diagnosis and how you felt in that gap. Uh, you know, I think when you're going through something traumatic, everyone's experiences are different. Some people have a faith crisis. Some people blame themselves, like my body's broken or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just curious what that timeline was like for you. Um, I would say for me, that time period, it wasn't super long. It was from January to April. April was when I went in. Mm-hmm. So it was just a few months. But in those few months, I would say that it was, it was a time for me of a lot of thinking, a lot of like praying and a lot of asking like, why, why is this happening? Is there a purpose behind it? Even if the purpose, which I had another miscarriage later, which I guess I can talk about, but I felt like if the purpose is to have empathy, then that's great. Like, help me learn that if that's what it is. If it's, I'm not meant to be a mother, like physically bear children, like, okay, that's going to be really hard for me. Like, help me to reach a point where I can accept that. Mm-hmm. If, you know, like I was, I think I turned more instead of like a faith crisis, it was more like a leaning on God. <laughs> like, help me get to this because this is more than I can really handle right now when I'm feeling so sick on top of it, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because, um, a really pivotal moment in 
my marriage and I think in my faith was right after I had my miscarriage and um this was like literally right after we had gotten back from the doctor and they had told us that there was no heartbeat and um we were just holding each other on the bed and we had this really frank discussion about how I think a lot of times when you experience difficult things it either has the potential to uh, bring you closer to God or farther, farther away from him. And for us, we felt like we need to make the conscious decision of moving closer to God. Otherwise the natural consequence of just apathy was that we would move further away and our remorse um, would just naturally kind of move us further away. And so for us, that meant like, okay, we're going to continue to study together and we're specifically going to read from this um, set of scripture, you know, and that really changed, I feel like my experience where had it been the other way around, I think I would have had more potential to be more angry. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know for sure in this time period, I worked in the temple a little bit during this time. And I felt like every time I would be on like a little break or I'd be moving places, there's a lot of time, at least when I was working the temple, that you were like sitting at a post where you would just like point people in the right direction. So there's a lot of thinking time when I was working there. And I remember I like would sit there and I would think like the, the whole purpose of life, you know, is to be happy and have of eternal family that's like how it felt you know like in the temple it really is about families and I felt like man I am really relating to like old testament women right now you got like Rachel and Rebecca and like among others like uh I don't know Elizabeth is that uh, Mary's sister cousin cousin yeah you know these women that like we're praying for children for years and years and years. And like, some of them are really melodramatic. They say things like, I'd rather die than not bear children. You know, like it's so emotional. And yeah. I remember thinking about that when I would be at a random post in the temple and think, I don't think I'd rather be dead or anything that's really kind of dramatic, but it's what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a mom. It's a huge thing that I always wanted to be. And I remember thinking that in the temple all the time and pondering about it. And that's probably in that time frame. That's what I was doing, like between miscarriages and waiting for the diagnosis, just thinking about like, well, this is what I wanted to do my whole life. And that's okay. If it's something I have to wait a little bit longer, I'll learn patience. I'll learn empathy and sympathy for people that have gone through it and will go through it. I guess I'll just bear this the best I can yeah it's a beautiful attitude to have even though it's really hard in the moment oh yeah and it didn't end there either right (laughs) it was like I had those miscarriages had my thyroid removed and then I ran into kind of infertility I stopped getting pregnant for a while Mm -hmm. and that's also something common for people that have thyroid problems Mm -hmm. if you're hypothyroid you're usually not, uh, you're usually, I'm trying to remember, right. If you're hypothyroid, so your thyroid's not active enough, mm-hmm. you will ovulate, but you won't be able to maintain the pregnancy. You'll mm-hmm. miscarry. 
if you're hyper, usually you don't ovulate. Mm -hmm. So in the year after I had my thyroid removed, my levels were kind of all over the place. And I just don't think I was ovulating and not able to get pregnant in that time frame. So I had a miscarriage that sounds really similar to yours, Dana, in August of 2018. I went in at like the 10 or 12 weeks and Mm -hmm. the baby didn't have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And that was after a year. Yeah, it was a year after I had my thyroid removed. So I had Mm -hmm. a stint of not getting pregnant, had a year, got pregnant, miscarried. And that one was, that one was really hard for me um, because it was a little bit different. It was longer it was further along like you went right. in expecting to hear a heartbeat right expecting the doctor to say like oh it's looking good but not the case you know that was yeah. a lot harder to hear and at the same time so that was at the beginning of August and at the end of August I was living in my grandparents basement and my grandpa passed away mm. like two or three weeks later so it was this huge emotional pull on me like I looking back I for sure was probably depressed and needed to get help but didn't yeah. Um, and I was just sad and I had a really hard year again, went another year without getting pregnant. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've had a journey of, uh, miscarriage, recurring, reoccurring miscarriages and infertility, which is kind of a weird process. Like most people don't have that. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. It seems weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh, man, the, I can the imagine. Timing, the timing is, I feel, unique. The way, you know, a lot of people, yeah, will just have miscarriage after miscarriage until they get X, Y, and Z hormones balanced, you know, and, and, and then they take Clomid or something to help them ovulate, you know. Right. And then, or, you know, or sometimes it's, you know, or they just don't get pregnant ever and they have to do IUIs and, and, um, and fertility treatment which is like what we decided to do so like mm-hmm. I had the miscarriage in August of 2018 and then it been a year and I was like okay I'm gonna go in and just you know get my yearly checkup and kind of like throw in like hey <laughs> it's been a year like is there something I can do you know or whatever yeah. so I go and they're like oh we'll send you to a fertility specialist because your history is weird you know <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I went to like a specialist and they, they started me on like, okay, we're going to do all this testing. We're going to check if everything is good with you. We're going to check if everything's good with Andrew. We're going to check all this stuff. And so um, this was September of 2019. And we go in and we do all this testing and I they were like, you know, everything looks pretty normal. Like you should be able to carry a child. There's nothing blocking. There's nothing there. Your genetics are fine. Um, they said at one point, I think they said that I might've been pre-diabetic, but they're like, that shouldn't be a big deal if you're not actually diabetic. And I'm like, no, not that I know of. And the doctor, <laughs> I feel so bad. Oh, go ahead. Oh, good. Of course, you're pre-diabetic because your thyroid's all over the place. When your thyroid's <laughs> not right, then your blood sugar also is not right. Just, who knows? I may have eaten a cupcake so. right before I went in. Like, I don't <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My levels are crazy. So the poor doctor, 
like again i wish there was more specialized medicine but he like specialized to like personal medicine i guess because he was like um so i have this book that you guys can get and it's called always hungry and i'm like oh my gosh he's trying to tell us that we're too fat to get pregnant which is like i guess it's a thing but like i'm like there are people bigger than me that get pregnant like that's he did not say that I'm just going to like back up so that you can't see her. Mikkel is not obese in any way, shape, or form. Just so anybody, yeah. I don't know. My BMI could be close to overweight. I don't know. But it, I was like, um, okay, I'll, I'll try this diet that you're telling me to do. But like Andrew was there and he, he said after the appointment, he's like, you looked so mad when he started talking about dieting. And I was like, it's because I was that's like I get it he's a doctor like I should be able to take like your fat and be like okay okay fine I'll take it you know because he's like trying to get me healthy or whatever but it was like really I'm going and spending like all this time and money and effort to be told that I'm too fat like okay fine <laughs> that's just such a cop-out of a diagnosis because hello I had thyroid cancer and I've had three miscarriages and infertility that's not it's not because my BMI is a little push in it like yeah I just I'm well I'm I want to know who this guy is I'm <laughs> no no there's more to the story about him I like I like him he's good okay. but sorry what were you gonna say Dana well I'm just curious too like was there ever a fear that because of your treatment with the cancer like did you have to do chemotherapy or radiation that would make it so you were infertile oh yeah no not for mine so when okay. I my diagnosis they took a biopsy and then they removed the thyroid okay if it had spread to my lymph nodes I would have had to do radioactive iodine which right. is still a thing that could happen if it you know there's little microscopic bits of thyroid right. that could spread but yeah and I've heard that's crazy like you go in and you have to be on a strict diet of like low sodium for two or three weeks and then they put Can't you in a room and they that. wear a hazmat suit and they come yeah. in and they say drink this liquid and you go okay drink the liquid and hope you don't die I don't know sounds crazy I, I didn't have to do that but that I think you would have to wait a little bit yeah but I'm not sure because you're like I, literally radioactive after that. Like you can't, anything that was like in the room with you, like you touched, you have to like throw away after those treatments. Cause you're I think so. I, I don't know for sure, but I do know, like I've had a friend that had to do it, which is funny. Like you said, like it comes out of the woodwork. You say like I had thyroid cancer and then like, oh, oh this person had it, this person, this person. So like one of my friends had it and she, she had to isolate for like two weeks, I think. Yeah. two or three weeks you have to stay by yourself yeah. <laughs> keep away from people yeah yeah oh, wow. my father-in-law had thyroid cancer he got his thyroid removed and uh last year he found out that he had thyroid cancer that had spread to his lungs and so um lungs. it's it's uh I don't know what they do for when it spreads to your lungs. It's different than the lymph nodes maybe but I don't well, know so far they haven't done anything so no. <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing scans and stuff and it hasn't been growing. So and he's in his seventies, so he's living a good life and 
we're just grateful he's still alive, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. Cancer sucks and it's weird. It is. And each kind is a little different because I remember I had the diagnosis or like I was told I had it. And it's funny, you know, like people will say weird things like about cancer. They'll say like, oh, at least it's not this type of cancer, you know, and it's like, yeah, but it's still cancer. You know, it's not something you want to get. It's And that happens with like miscarriage too. You know, like people will say things that are like semi-insensitive, but you're like, they mean the best. Like you have to go by intentions a lot because you know, I'm sure I've said really insensitive stuff about things that I didn't understand. And, and that's kind of what I've learned through a lot of this is like, I'm sensitive in certain ways, but someone else that went through the same or similar as me might not be as sensitive about that, but are sensitive about something else. You know, like we all say stuff that's kind of weird. Yeah. I have a few other questions, but one of the things is that I'm not like trying to shame you for the length of time that it took you to like go to the doctor or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. um, I feel like sometimes medical advocacy and getting the support that you need um, can be challenging, especially in our healthcare system, as you, you've kind of mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. But for someone who is maybe experiencing some of these symptoms or um, is dealing with infertility or, whatever the case might be, like, how would you recommend they advocate for themselves to get the the treatment, to get the treatment that they need or an answer? It's a, it's kind of difficult to jump through hoops sometimes in our system for healthcare. Yeah. At least that's what I experienced. When I finally did get the answer of cancer, I was slightly frustrated you know, that it took so long, although they did catch it pretty early, even still. Sure. I would just say that I would want people to know that they can keep asking, keep pressing for answers, go to a different doctor, try stuff yourself, like pay attention to your body. Like those are things that I tried to do. Um, once I had the cancer diagnosis, I really was like, okay, I need to write down everything that happens because I would often get like medical bills and have no idea. Like, wait, what is this about? It would be like, okay, you got a bill for your labs. You got a bill for the doctor. You have a bill for the radiologist. You have a bill for this person, you know? And it's, it's such a crummy way to bill people. They should kind of lump it all together or something, but to advocate for it, I just say, don't be afraid to ask questions about everything. Like someone comes in the door, you ask who they are, ask what they're doing, ask like, oh, I don't know. I'm so tired. Keep asking questions. Like, don't be afraid of them telling you that you're in a transition. (laughs) Don't be afraid that they don't know the answer because maybe you'll ask the right question and finally you'll get an answer. Yeah. That's great advice. Okay. So he called you fat and... (laughs) yeah I feel bad he he was sub it was like kind like it wasn't like you're fat it was like (laughs) he tried to be passive aggressive way a little bit it was a little passive aggressive but it was like okay there in my mind again because I had gone through like all this other stuff I was like okay so they're kind of grasping at straws here that's what I kind of figured I'm like if they're telling me that's why they don't know really like there's got to be something that's not, it's just not happening. And that's okay for now. 
Hmm. So I kind of like put that to the side and he was like, doesn't really matter because we're the doctor. He's like, that's fine. You might be struggling with your weight, (laughs) but we're going to start like a a fertility plan. And he's like, okay, so we're going to start by putting you on Fumara, which is like a form of Clomid, Hmm. a different form. He's like, we're going to start you on this level for this many months. And then after that, this many months, and then we're going to start doing, oh man, I can't remember all the stuff. It was like, after that, then we'll do like the shots to try and get your ovulation going. And if that doesn't work, then we'll do an IUI. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll do um, in vitro. And like, so he like had this whole plan set up and he's like, okay, we're going to start you on the Fomara. And so I took that and the first round of Fomara, the first month we got pregnant with Hazel. Yay. So it was weird because I, I, even looking back to the going to the fertility doctor and going to the OBGYN after the year after my long, uh, longer miscarriage, I went in and I remember thinking like, I should be going next year because I haven't gone to the doctor at all this year. It's September of 2019. I should go in January or February of 2020 because then it'll all be on one year worth of medical bills. But I like had this really strong feeling like, no, go in September, go in October. Like, I don't know. I know now, again, retrospect, it's awesome because COVID hit and I wouldn't have been able to get through any of the processing if I hadn't have waited till January or February. And I remember, I think it was like April of 2020, March or April, um, I got an email from the fertility office. And I think it was just like a mass email that they sent out to everyone. And it said, we're really sorry, we're being shut down because of COVID. We cannot do any treatments. We cannot continue until further notice, pretty much. And I got that email and I had been pregnant with Hazel. So I was probably three months pregnant or so. And I remember I just sobbed. And I thought if I had waited till January, I would not. If I had, if, and I thought of like all the women and men, men and women that are going through this right now had to pause in the middle of their treatments. And I felt like really blessed that I had that really strong feeling to go in September. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I guess I never even thought about that perspective, like people in the middle of a treatment. Okay. It's not life-saving, right? It's not, yeah. it's life-changing. It's something so emotional and you're, you know, people, maybe people were, had just done, you know, an in vitro, you know, implantation or something and or just even done the shots to like yeah. get yeah. your um, like to I can't I don't know in vitro very well because I didn't have to do that but okay. you know they have to give you a bunch of shots to like hyper hyper ovulate or whatever yeah. and then they harvest your eggs imagine if you had just done all those shots and you're hyper ovulating and then you can't do anything with them yeah that is, uh, I, I've just heard like that part that part of people's fertility treatment is hell 
with all yeah. the hormones, like that, you know, the, the shots, like the bruising, the way you feel, you just are, feel like crap. And I can't imagine the rug getting pulled out from under you with COVID like that for someone. So you're totally. right. That's, I, I, I just like, I can't imagine like the way you felt like in that moment, realizing, oh my gosh, I yeah. am so glad I followed that prompting to just go. Yeah. And, and we're so glad Hazel's here. She's just so fluffy and squishy. <laughs> she is. <laughs> She's not fat, not to be confused with being <laughs> fat. <laughs> I guess I feel like when you call a baby fat, it's not as mean. She's a, she is a big girl. She's in like the 90th percentiles of weight. <laughs> Love that. Love that. How old and is height. she now? Um, she is six and a half months. So, yeah. And I, looking back, everything for me has been looking back. And that's what I have to tell myself, like, when I'm going through something, is just think of all the times that you've had to look back. Like, God was leading you the whole way. You just didn't know it. And it wasn't the easiest path. And I would cry so much I act like I'm like it was totally fine it was not yeah (laughs) it was it was so hard there were times when I just didn't understand and I would just cry a lot poor Andrew was like oh my gosh she's crying all the time but I it was so hard and I again I had to lean on God because I was a mess and I just had like a bunch of scriptures that I just would like go over, run through my mind to help me because it was too hard to bear for myself and with just me and Andrew. And and it was something that, because it was personal and I didn't share as much, I didn't have as much support. I had like family. So my sisters right. and my, bro- my brothers, I guess, they're, <laughs> they're brothers <laughs> instead of like my sisters. But I had support from them and my mom had a pretty late miscarriage in her life between my brother and me so like I had a lot of people around me that I could talk to but yeah it's not it's weird that it's it does feel almost stigmatized is that the word Mm -hmm. um that miscarriage in general is that way and I think it is because it's personal and like now that we're getting more technology it seems like maybe it'll be less so because people can find out so early that they're having a baby and they often can, and that means they'll often find out that they lost the baby so early too, you know? Right. I I think a part of that too, because I'm curious how your husband um, experienced these things as well, like the miscarriages, because for Luke, we were actually having this conversation the other day where he didn't really have like a connection to the baby at all, really. Like, and so he was really surprised by how badly it hurt when we had our miscarriage and like I how badly it felt for you, for him, Me? like how badly oh, like okay. it yeah. hurt him, even though he felt like he didn't really have like a connection or an attachment to this baby yet. And I, I think maybe that's why it's so shocking and surprising is because we think like oh it's not really a fully formed baby it's like like you get these like no right well but like even like 
outside of that, it's like your app will tell you like, oh, you're this far along. It's the size of a grain of rice, you know, and you're like, that's <laughs> practically nothing, you know? So how do you it's feel attachment? Right. Like, how do you feel attachment to something that exists, but doesn't really exist in your world yet, you know? Right. Um, and for you and me, was it before you had Sawyer? Yeah, it was before. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I think this might be relatable to you as well. For me, it was like, I felt different with each pregnancy, really. Like the first two, I didn't feel like there was as much there, especially looking back. It was like, yeah. those were meant to be for me to find my diagnosis of cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's how like I processed it and how I went about it to feel better about it. Sure. And then when I had the second one, like, or third one, I guess the later one, I it was a lot harder to process for me because of the whole, like trying to find a purpose in it. But also I thought, you know, this is hard for me because I don't have a child to like compare it to. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like I am mourning the loss of an idea. Absolutely. Like that's how it felt to me. Like I don't have a kid to compare it to. I don't have like, Oh, little Hazel. Now, like if I have a miscarriage, it's like, I know what that feels like now to have Mm -hmm. a child. Not that it's any like less of a mourning or less of a pain. It's just a different type. Like I remember thinking like, I don't even know what I'm missing out on. Yeah. Like I know it's an idea of something that I want and it's Mm -hmm. so sad because I want it so bad, but I don't have my own child to compare it to. 100%. I agree with what you said, because I think it really is what you're mourning is the loss of the idea especially when you start, because you start planning your whole life around it. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to be due at this point. And this is how my life is going to change. And, you know, for me, I was like, okay, am I going to quit my job or not? So there's a lot that's riding on this thing. (laughs) And so I think for me, it was one, this morning of the idea. um, And then also morning, just this desire and passion, um, an innate thing I think to be a mother Um, right that's and it was a loss like I had with that miscarriage I had my grandpa die at the same time and it was an interesting day compare the two almost um because it was like my grandpa who I knew really well um I missed him and I missed him because I knew him really well and I remember I journaled a lot at that time like and I remember the night, the day that I had my miscarriage, it was awful. Like the office did, I, I won't say which office I went to, but they like told me I miscarried and then put me in the waiting room with like everyone there. So I'm just sobbing in the waiting room. Aww. It was like, I don't know what they were thinking. I was like, they said I miscarried and I went blank. Like, I don't remember anything after that, you know? So like him talking to me, like he was telling me things. And I just remember just like sitting there nothing was coming in and out they put me in the waiting room I don't know why I went in there I should have just said no I'm not going out there and having people watch me sob in this office or whatever anyway so I like journaled about that a bit but then like when my grandpa passed away I wrote pages and pages and pages and the miscarriage was like a page and I was like this is really interesting that like something that I physically went through spiritually went through with this like idea like we talked about kind of more than idea but like the the potential that I was going to have a child I wrote like a page or something 
And then my grandpa passed away and I wrote a ton. And it's like, grieving is so interesting. Mm. So like, sometimes we grieve in such different ways for different things. I don't know. That's, I've learned a lot about grieving, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that time too. Really um, interesting. Juxtaposition, the kind of uh, situations. But also, what the heck? I can't believe that they made you walk out into the lobby. We had like, they had a separate door. Like we were able to go out a separate exit. And... Yeah. Ugh. It was really like, if I could say it was the worst day of my life, I think that probably would be it. Like that was a really bad day. Yeah. I like think back and I'm like, I, that was, I think, part of the reason why it took me so long to have the desire to go back into an office mm. yeah. <laughs> like PTSD oh, yeah a little bit I mean I don't I don't know but that's how it felt a little bit I remember yeah. thinking like I can't go to that office if I'm sent to that building even like I don't know if I can do it and it was I actually <laughs> at my 20 week appointment for Hazel was sent to the same building, not the same office, but the same building. Mm-hmm. And I had like major anxiety the night before. Mm-hmm. And I, and because of COVID, Andrew couldn't go in there with me. Oh. So Andrew was sitting in the parking lot. Cause I was like, I can't be there alone. If something's wrong, like if something is really wrong with our baby, you have to be in the parking lot so that I can call you and make you come in. Cause I said, if something was wrong, he could come in. That's what they told me. I'm like, okay. Oh my gosh. There's nothing wrong, but I was like, okay, my husband's going to be in the parking lot. Luckily, nothing was wrong. But I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm like in my cursed building. Mm. I don't know if I can stomach this. Well, yeah. we're so glad that Hazel is here. It's such oh a- yeah. Guys, my story sounds so sad now that I'm like laying it all out. No, no. no. It has a happy ending. And yes. I and it's that. strewn with hope and miracles. And I think that's the beautiful thing about I think that's why I don't know lately I've just felt so passionately about this platform is because it gives one people an opportunity to share their stories and two I think we grow when we listen to other people's stories and we read stories all the time whether that's in the scriptures or whether that's in fairy tales and storybooks and and we gain strength from hearing other people have courage and bravery and compassion and all these other qualities as they, as they live their stories. So thank you for sharing yours. Yeah. And that's my hope for this is like that people can gain hope in hardship. And I think like you were thinking earlier with the advocacy, like I hope that I can share something maybe that if someone's wondering like, Hey, this has been bothering me like a physical ailment, like, don't be afraid to go to the doctor. I know it's not fun, but hopefully you can get answers. And it was weird. Like I said, like one of them with the cancer, I was like, oh, yay, I have a diagnosis of something. Yeah. And sometimes in the diagnosis is what you want. And sometimes it's not what you want. Like I was afraid to go in after I had my miscarriages to be told like, or the other miscarriage that like there was something really really wrong with me and I'd never have a baby you know I think that was part of me not wanting to go in too and it's a brave thing to go in when you're struggling with those kind of fears (laughs) for sure I I remember so I got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome in high school and 
I got diagnosed and then like our sister Meredith had multiple miscarriages like back to back to back like that and and then she got diagnosed after I got my diagnosis with PCOS and so I kind of resigned myself like even from a young age like I may never have kids and I'm probably gonna have a bunch of miscarriages and so when I got pregnant with my twins I went in super early because I was like check all the things you know (laughs) and like I want all my levels and you know it's just it's so interesting too how life like something I was completely emotionally and mentally spiritually physically prepared to not get pregnant like to spend my life was like already looking at adoption options and but then lo and behold they gave me two (laughs) well fertile myrtle over there I don't know your whole story but it seems like you might have had the opposite problem of me (laughs) well I would yeah I mean yeah it was just my well I did have thyroid issues but my thyroid was hyper ovulating well my thyroid was making PCOS and the my thyroid issues made me hyper ovulate so that's what mm, hence the multiples yeah and the baby quick after the multiple yeah so that I mean and in retrospect too honestly like it was such a shock for me to get pregnant when my twins were six months old um but like now like with what my life looks like now and like god knew I wouldn't have had an my three kids had he given to me them like two years apart or like all nice and evenly spaced like no we gotta send them right now because she gotta shut this down (laughs) 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 so yeah it's it's just really interesting everyone's journeys and what you learn about yourself over time and how crappy things make somehow make you stronger and right and sometimes it seems like some people's trials are other people's blessings too like like you had like the hyper fertileness and I had the non-fertileness and I remember talking with my my cousin's wife she she has Graves disease Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's all she has she has a few health things and so she hasn't been able to get pregnant ever she's adopted but I remember talking with her and just saying, you know what? It's hard because like, even though we're going through the same thing, like I still don't understand what it feels like to never have a pregnancy at all. Mm-hmm. Like I've had miscarriages and she's like, yeah, I don't understand miscarriages. Like that seems like a whole nother type of loss. It seems like a whole nother type of hardship. And then you have people that can't not have children and that's a hardship to them in some ways too. Like, you know, that's really hard. <laughs> I wouldn't okay. say that that's like, an easier, easier, uh, hardship, like to each their own kids. Yeah. (sighs) That's too many kids. I can't, that is a hardship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Or your parents, you know, just like having a bunch of kids and being totally cool and totally fine. As far as I can tell. (laughs) Our poor parents now, I think they like played it off pretty cool. Like when we, they had like all of us in the house and now they're like, oh, the parenthood is like a dumpster fire when they're all adults. Like, <laughs> No, I don't know, though. I remember reading some of mom's journal when she was finding out she was pregnant with 
people after she like was done and she's like I don't know how I'm gonna do this no yeah did you read that about yourself no No, I think it was about Kara yeah yeah no I was I literally made my mom not believe in God anymore (laughs) no I'm not even kidding definitely I'm glad they had you I like you guys yeah Yeah, I mean we're really the favorite but it's fine you know when people say like there's kindred spirits in the world you are one of my kindred spirits thank you for joining us and sharing your story while it is strewn with heartache there is a lot of hope and we're grateful for you for sharing your hope um with us tonight thank you thank you and now for everyone's favorite segment this came out of the mouth of my babe all right i can share mine luke is out of town and uh so i was on solo parental duty and you know when you're you're just like trying to fill the time and you're like what do i do so we started reading a book and it was super cute but uh she has this princess book and she kept pointing and saying something and i like couldn't quite understand what she was saying and i eventually figured out that she was trying to say cinderella and she like kept saying like iterella <laughs> in fact i actually took a recording out of it because it was just Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. what's her name can you find cinderella Ta-da. <laughs> cinderella you say Ta-da. Uh, it's fun yes I had a niece that used to call Little Mermaid Mimu Mimu Kwai Kwai Mimu (laughs) that's not my story but it reminded me of that love it do you want to share your story okay yeah sure um uh Hazel isn't old enough to talk so I don't really have a story about her She's the best. I haven't really said that in this because I talked about my hardship and then, oh, I got Hazel, but she is awesome. I'm really happy I have her. Um, You're always the best. I know. Best. Um, but my story, I was like trying to think of something and I was like, okay, I've got lots of nieces and nephews to pick from. And I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And then my sister texted me a video last night. So my nieces and nephews, like when my siblings first started having kids, had a hard time saying Mikel. Mm-hmm. so they started calling me mac so i've been mac since they were born yeah <laughs> so they called me mac and my sister sends this video of my nephew mervin and he's telling my sister he says andrew who's my husband he says andrew told me that me jesus made my brother van and they're like who are you talking about andrew who just to be clear. And he says, Andrew, Mac's dad. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this video of me, Jesus made Van, his brother. <laughs> and it was Andrew that told him that. <laughs> and he's not your husband, but he's your dad. He's my dad. <laughs> or daddy. Something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, I love kids. Seriously, I love that they just like don't really know who people belong to and like what relationships are. And 
or pronouns like <laughs> totally and Andrew is like the favorite uncle too so like I'll show up somewhere and every like every time I walk in I'm without Andrew they'll be like where's Andrew <laughs> like what am I chopped liver I am <laughs> totally that's my life too like the cousins we call them the cousins yeah my kids call them <laughs> the nieces and nephews oh, where's treasure treasure what's up man you're the best yeah, everyone <laughs> My family, like, wouldn't even care if I didn't show up. They're like, Trevor is the life of the party. He's the treasure. Yep, he's the treasure. Um, okay, what's mine? Okay, so yesterday, <laughs> I need a little drink. After school, I had to pick the kids up from school to take Gavin to his occupational therapy. And, and by drink, she means a Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a fine wine. Yeah. So in Texas, there's not like delicious drink shops like there are in like Utah and Arizona. We just have Sonic and you get your ad in. So anyways, so really needed a drink. And I, the kids are like, are you getting us one? I was like, no, mozzarella sticks are on sale. So I'll get you mozzarella sticks. And the kids start screaming about it. Like, I don't want it. I want this. I want that. And Gavin is just losing his mind. I need a chili cheese dog. And... I'm trying to order because the app's not working. I'm just getting so frustrated. And so I was like, seriously, shut up. Like, because the lady's like talking. And I don't say shut up to my kids. And they all were like, gosh, moms can't say that. So this morning, the kids are getting ready for school. My husband was on a flight uh, last night. And so they, or he, yeah, he was gone. So they, they didn't see him yesterday, but they saw him this morning. And Parker goes, Dad, like whispering, guess what? Mom said shut up to us yesterday. And mom can't say shut up. She's a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I guess that's why we don't say shut up because we're Christians. So I just thought that was really funny. And I was like getting dressed and I, I heard him like tattle on me. I was like, Channel on me, dad. But then he's like, "Yeah, he said that moms can't say shut up because she's a Christian." <laughs> well, that what did Trevor say to you? Yeah, he just laughed. That's so funny. <laughs> Love it. Oh, bless them. Kids say the darndest thing. Okay. Okay. So I figured I'm just gonna do a little plug. Mikhail has worked at her dad's auto body shop for all the years and it's great so this episode is not sponsored by Clegg's car care in in Orem on Geneva and Center <laughs> Clegg's car care getting your cars Clegg's cleaned up <laughs> it's not sponsored but it's highly recommended yes. <laughs> we were talking about before we started recording that I did take my janky geo metro to her dad in college because my fifth gear went out and in a blizzard and he was like yeah it's not worth replacing the transmission just drive it till it's dead so yeah i drove that car for a long time without a fifth till 2011 and then i moved up to utah and i drove that car for two years with a broken fifth gear yep bless him the car that keeps on giving literally a tin can yeah okay no ac no i had a car that had no ac no ac 
no power steering. And we drove that in high school. Like in Arizona? Yes. Yeah. It was the worst car. And then like our brother had driven it and like taped like lights back on with duct tape. And it it was like all rust. The battery kept getting like rusted and corroded around it. It would like the little clips would like pop off. So I'd have to get my spatula out. My <laughs> spatula scrape the windows, and I'd s- smash the clamps back on the battery. One time, the clamp came off, and I was in the middle of intersection on University and University in Provo. Oh, that's a I had to like push it out of the middle of the intersection do you think it was a geo yes yeah. it's pretty and light <laughs> literally literally my senior superlative was worst car because i drove that oh, nice my gosh. yeah oh. really upgraded in my life with my toyota corolla but it was my dream car so living the dream Hey, that's a little bit more reliable than a geo, if I were to say. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll and when you, oh, oh I was gonna say, I have, I, do you stop talking? It's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw like some crash videos in high school of geo metros, and they get, would get completely squished like a tuna fish can. It was so scary. So I pretty much always drove without my seatbelt on. Because my plan is to just jump out of the car. There's no way I will survive inside this thing. I will die inside this. So yeah, that was my plan. I'll just jump. It's fine. Except for that one time when dad rolled the Geo Metro in Indiana into a cornfield. And he just, you know, flipped it back over and drove it back home. <laughs> so they're, they're little resilient little buggers, those cars. I had a Rio, a Kia Rio. And my dad uh, called it a C-thing. And it was like that. It was this. It's like a Geo Metro or a Geo, whatever you had. Very tinny. Don't get in an accident with it. You might die. Yeah. Yeah. Do not buy those cars for your kids. So no. this is also not sponsored by Geo Metro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think I make them anymore. Thank goodness. No, they're. They I mean, they probably don't make it anymore. But there has been one driving around Seattle in my neighborhood, and oh, every time I see it, they're still around. They yeah. just don't make them anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably a good thing. So, babes, if you have the option to buy a Geo Metro, I would say that's a hard pass. Yep. But take care of yourselves. Go to the doctor. Take your vitamins. And if you have a chance to listen to us next week, that's a hard yes. (laughs) Subscribe, share, rate. Me and Peggy will be on it. (laughs) <laughs> number one fans that's what we need though we need more people to go not only to rate but to leave reviews um because that's how uh people will find out more about us and when you have other podcasts that you listen to and you're looking for new recommendations then it's all based on reviews so go give us a review okay Thanks bye babe. Babes. Babes. oh my gosh <laughs>